charge of and responsible for the finances of a 14 unit building, even though I only owned one unit of it. Uh, But I had to really manage the budget. And, you know, almost like we do as multifamily investors, kind of look on a pro forma basis of, okay, this is the money coming in, this is the money going out and planning for that. It's no secret that real estate is one of the best investment vehicles out there. But how can we determine which strategies will best align with our financial ambitions? Well, you've come to the right spot. Whether you're an active real estate entrepreneur, a passive investor, or looking to get into real estate investing, our goal is to provide investors with insights and strategies for building our portfolios all while protecting our capital. I'm Daniel Nichols, and this is the Two Smart Assets Real Estate Investing Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, accompanied by our guest for the week, Mark Weissy. And today we are the two smart assets. For those not yet familiar with Mark, he is a bond trader turned multifamily investor who started investing in residential real estate in 2016. He and his partner made the switch to multifamily in 2020 and believe in serving the communities in which they invest, educating others on the wealth building power of multifamily real estate and making an impact along the way. Mark, my man, it is great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Danny. It's a pleasure. Yeah, pumped to dive into the conversation today. I know we got some interest story, interesting stories to, to cover and uh, a lot of good stuff for our listeners who are W-2 workers and still looking to build a portfolio. But before we do that, man, uh, tell us more about your background, your story, and how you got started in real estate. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm based here in northern New Jersey, just across the river from New York City. Uh, grew up in this area. Um, I am the son of an immigrant who came here in the 80s. So um, kind of a typical rags to, well, not riches, but rags to middle class uh, story. And uh, grew up with my uh, my father being an entrepreneur. And uh, he was a truck driver that ran his own uh, truck driving business. And so kind of uh, in some ways, I guess through osmosis, absorbed the thought of entrepreneurship, at least. Um, but as many people who are the children of immigrants can probably uh, attest, um, you know, he wanted me to get a, a job, a comfortable kind of job at a, you know, large company and and kind of live the uh, American middle class dream that way. Um, and so kind of went through college and started working on, on Wall Street. And, um, you know, that was going really well. But um, what I saw was that I entered the workforce in 2011, which was a, a pretty interesting time uh, sure. to be, especially working in financial services. And I saw that people were really struggling, really worried about their day to day living. Um, you know, a lot of folks had worked their entire careers on, on Wall Street and weren't really sure if they would have a job one week to the next. And mm. uh, I kind of made a vow to myself at that point that I, I didn't want to ever uh, be out of control of my own financial destiny and uh, didn't want to, you know, one day have a family and, you know, put them at risk of, of not being able to, uh, you know, pay the bills and go through financial hardship um, outside of my own control. And so at that point, um, started doing a lot of educating and and uh, kind of read the Purple Bible, as I call it, the Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, got yeah. into real estate and finally took the plunge of, of buying a property of my own. Okay. So and then, so when that property, was that a single family property or what kind of property was that? That first yeah, property? Yeah, it, it was a condo actually here in North okay. Jersey. Those are a lot, a lot of, uh, very common. Okay, cool. And you were working at your W2 job at that time, correct? Exactly. Okay, cool. So so let's dive into that a little bit, right? Because like we mentioned, we talked a little bit before the show, uh, a lot of our listeners are W-2 employees. I still I still have a W-2 myself, right? And so while you were investing in real estate, that first property, right? And then as you begin to scale and you know add properties and stuff like that, you're working in this W-2 job. And I know, again, many of our listeners can sympathize with that. Walk us through those times and how that was for you being able to kind of you know balance that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So it started off, mine was a, a house hack. It was back in 2016. And I didn't really know anything about house hacking or even the terminology okay. for that matter. It was more of a fact that, okay, I've got, you know, an open bedroom. I've, I'm living in one bedroom. I can, you know, rent that out and offset my mortgage. And so did that, you know, experienced some success and also some, some failures along the way, yeah. or I'll call them seminars as Rod Cleef calls them. <laughs> and, uh, and so it was like, okay, this is great. You know, I'm, I'm lowering my cost of living. What about if I can do more of this and actually generate some positive cash flow? And so, you know, the kind of one thing led to another. And, and, you know, after a little bit of time, I had a few of these properties and was trying to figure out how to scale from there. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, so, you know, you're putting in this work, you're building, you're building this portfolio, right? And you mentioned, you know, some of these seminars you talked about, let's talk about some of the challenges you actually faced and how you're able to overcome those or, or what those look like. Cause I think a lot of people who are thinking about getting into real estate investing or looking to build a portfolio or actually even in the process of building a portfolio, they're waiting to hit those challenges, right? And how they're going to react to them and what they need to do. So hearing other people's challenges, I think can provide a lot of context for how maybe they can, you know, handle their situations themselves. So if you could, let's dive into some of those challenges you face and what you learned from those. Yeah, sure thing. So one of the early challenges I had was, uh, you know, I come from very analytical, uh, very numerical background. Uh, I went to an engineering school. I was working, you know, in finance. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy, more or less a geek. And yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, I look at a lot of, uh, I was looking at a lot of deals at that point and was just not comfortable making decisions with, you know, without the full picture. And I didn't mm. know what I didn't know, essentially. So that was good in the sense that it forced me to educate myself and to read a lot of books and listen to a lot of podcasts. My car at that point, I was I was driving Uber on the side just to you okay. know build up this this uh, yeah. you know, side hustle and a little bit of income. And I I made my car into a mobile university, um, as uh, Jim Rohn talks about. So um, from there, you know, it became a, a thing of me getting over my fear of uh, analysis by paralysis. I'm sure mm. a lot of us are really familiar with that and. Um, I had to conquer that fear. And um, I finally got my second property. And uh, pretty much immediately upon me taking over that it was another condo, uh, I was hit with a special assessment. So oh, yeah. for anybody that's familiar, yeah, can I see you shaking your <laughs> Oh, so yeah. yeah, special assessments. Um, I don't, I don't know why they call them special, but um, <laughs> I was not feeling very special at the time. Uh, I got hit with, you know, a, a pretty solid uh, four-figure assessment uh, that I was Ooh. not planning on upon taking over the property. And so, uh, sure enough, I came to find out that the condo building in which I owned a, a unit was actually in quite a bit of financial distress. Mm. And so, upon learning this, you know. I had gotten over this fear of wanting to take the plunge of buying, you know, my first uh, true, you know, non-house hack, my first true investment property, and I got hit with that. And so I looked at it and I said, there were there are two ways I can respond to this. I can either sell the property, you know, probably take a hit and move on, never, you know, again to invest in real estate, or I can put on my thinking cap and figure out how to get over this thing. And so at that point, uh, I took on a role on the condo board. At the time, it was really only one individual that was running it. Okay. It was kind of like, a, I guess what you would say, a corporate takeover in the in the mm. financial world. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and so uh, I became the president of the condo board slash treasurer slash all the above. 
and uh, you know went on a, a, a bit of um, a tear there in terms of uh, figuring out where the finances lied and what actions I would need to take in order to you know right the ship. And so um, that took a little bit of time, but uh, sure enough, uh, after a little while and a little bit of coaxing amongst the other owners, um, you know I raised the the assessment, the uh, HOA fee every mm. month, um, which nobody is happy about, but it was a, a step I had to take. And then, um, you know, after a little while, we were able to kind of uh, get on the right track there. And it actually taught me a lot that would serve me in the future where, you know, I was basically in charge of and responsible for the finances of a 14 unit building, even though I only owned one unit of sure. it. Sure. Um, but I had to really manage the budget and, you know, almost like we do as multifamily investors kind of mm -hmm. look on a pro forma basis of, okay, this is the money coming in. This is the money going out and planning for that. Yeah. And I think that's huge, right? Because if, if you're looking to be active and, you know, scale into larger properties and do these deals, right? I think having that experience is something that not everybody has the chance to to actually gain, right? And so for you to be able to go in there, take the initiative and really dive in and, and learn that skill and hone it, I think that's that's massive, right? And that that obviously you've already moved into multifamily now. So taking that with you, I think is is huge. And I got to say one more thing, uh, special assessments. Yeah, those can be a those can be a deal breaker right there, man. I know, uh, I think the first, the first properties I bought was three condos and I did not take into account any sort of special assessment. So they were, like you said, they were all a surprise and then they were all special in their own way. So um, uh, I appreciate you going into that detail for sure. Um, so I want to dive into your multifamily story, right? Um, and then um, talk about how you got there. Before we do that, though, like I said, a lot of our listeners, W-2 employees looking to, to build their own portfolios, whether that be actively or passively. And considering you've been through the process, right? Are there any words of wisdom you could pass on that may help them or may help others on a, a similar path that you were? Yeah, I think the biggest message that I could convey to others who are doing it is you're capable of doing it. You know, everybody's going to have their own uh, set of kind of predisposed notions about, you know, what's possible, what's not possible with a W-2. Obviously, we all have very different um you know, relationships with our, our work and, and time constraints and things like that. But uh, I can absolutely tell you that it, it is possible uh, if your why is, is powerful enough. Mm. You know, I was, and still to this day, I have my W-2 job, but I was at that time, you know, getting up very early, uh, doing some real estate related stuff. And then, you know, once work was over, I would, you know, go to meetups, surround myself with other people who are doing it, uh, read books, you know, pretty much using whatever little bit of free time I had to kind of pour into this and, and put energy into this, uh, this real estate portfolio. So it's possible. That's my biggest uh, word of advice to anybody getting started with a W-2. Yeah, I think that's huge, right? Because I think a lot of people they have that that uh, limiting uh, belief that you know it's going to take too much and it's going to be too hard and all that stuff. And and you know, really, it is going to take a lot and it is going to be difficult. You know, I mean, that's the truth. That's the matter. That's that's just a matter of it. Uh, but uh, the thing is, you can do it, right? With enough focus, surrounding yourself with the right people, and like you said, that why. As long as you have a good reason why you're doing this, and you can really like lean on that while you move forward, especially when times get challenging, I think that's going to be massive. So I appreciate you sharing that tip, man, because that's that's huge. So. You know, you started with the condos. We now know that you're in multifamily. Let's talk about that transition. You know, what happened there? How did you end up getting into multifamily? Why did you get into multifamily and make that transition from uh, the condos? Yeah, so similar to what we were talking about earlier with the special assessments in the single family game and in the condo game, which is where I was exclusively investing, what we find is that, you know, you'll do well a number of months and then you'll get hit with some kind of incidental, uh, a roof goes or a pipe bursts, whatever the case may be. And now it wipes out multiple, multiple months of your cash flow. And it, you ask yourself, you know, enough times this happening, you ask yourself, you know, it's got to be a better way. How do, how do I get over this? 
And so at that time, I was going to quite a few different meetups. I was listening to a bunch of different podcasts, as I mentioned, and I landed on this idea of multifamily. And what I loved about multifamily was the diversification of your risk. You know, you're number one, you're, you're diversified across tenants. And then also mm. you have more tenants per, per roof or more you know, tenants per headache or more cash flow per headache, however you want to say it. Yeah. So, yeah, really love that idea that, you know, you can have a five unit building, six unit building is kind of those are the terms I was thinking in at the time, just based on what I thought was possible um, versus, you know, uh, let's say six single families where all of them have different roofs, all of them have different sure. foundations, things like that. Um, so at the time I was going to one meetup in particular that was, uh, composed of a number of larger multifamily, what what we call today syndicators. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, I didn't even think this was possible. I had no idea how you could get from a duplex to these folks were doing hundred plus unit properties. Sure. And so going to that, you know, going to those events and being surrounded by these folks, it really opened my mind in terms of, you know, you can do this. Regular people just like you are doing this, and it doesn't have. It's it, these aren't. This isn't the province of just you know banks or large institutions. These are regular people, you know, putting together their business in a much more efficient, effective way. And so from there, it became a, a factor of not what do I do next, but how do I get there and, and educating? Yeah, I think, you know, that's huge, right? Because it's you start there's this process of doing this, right? It's really it's really clear, you know, how to how to do this. Right. And it's like you get educated, you network. And you talk to a bunch of people, you surround yourself with the right with the right people, the right team, and then you put the stuff into practice, right? And I think that that just what you said earlier was like anybody can do this, right? With enough focus, with enough with enough reason, you can do this. So I think that uh, being able to hear that, you know, just as long as you have the time and the focus to do this, I think it's huge. And you anybody can go do this. So you made this transition. You started looking into multifamily. So what happened next? Did you just surround yourself with the right people? Make a team? Did you guys just start par- buying apartment buildings? What did that look like? Yeah. So uh, just before that, getting into multifamily, I decided to partner with a guy who was also local to my market. He had a lot of the same goals as me. There was a lot of overlap in terms of, um, you know, his experience um, in the area. And, and you know, he had different skill sets. Uh, he brought, you know, a lot of CapEx and construction background, mm. whereas I was much more of the numerical, you know, underwriting, dealing with lenders, that whole side of things. So we felt like we had a pretty good partnership. Um, and we had done uh, one deal to date uh, together on a duplex. And so we felt that we worked really well together and, you know, felt like I, I really trusted that he was a high integrity individual. And then at that point, we were saying, OK, well, you know, we've done this duplex. We've kind of got a proof of concept of us working together. And we know that at that time we had been going to that meetup for a few months and we had now been reading you know, a lot of the multifamily books that we're all exposed to. And we're like, okay, let's join a mentorship program. Let's start investing in other people's deals. Let's start kind of taking steps towards actually doing bigger deals ourselves. Yeah, I think that's huge, right? And a lot of people here like, oh, joining a mentorship or getting a coach or something. A lot of people kind of shy away from that because, you know, typically they're not free, right? And so you want to make sure you're getting in the right in the right, uh, in the the right right group. And honestly, we could probably have a whole episode just about talking about, you know, mentorships and getting into all that. So we're going to pass that on. Maybe we can have you on another day to talk about that. But you mentioned, you know, investing in other people's deals. Talk to us a little bit about that, what that means and what that looked like for you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, aside from the education, we uh, tried to surround ourselves with other operators and we came across an opportunity 
in 2018 that we decided, okay, this may be the, a good first opportunity where the operator was very willing to kind of open the kimono, so to speak, and kind of bring us along on, on the experience. And we thought that was a good a good sign. Uh, we had met uh, a gentleman at a meetup actually, and went down to go tour some of their deals and felt pretty comfortable at that time. Um, we didn't, obviously in retrospect, we didn't know a lot of the, the questions to ask, but sure. we were just foolish enough to kind of get started. <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, um, in retrospect, I, I think, uh, in some ways served us in some ways kind of handicapped us. Um, but, uh, we, we invested in two of their deals, uh, and, uh, we were kind of off to the races from there that kind of led to, uh, what I, what I mentioned earlier with, uh, you know, investing as an LP and becoming very active on the GP side. Yeah. So, so when you're talking about these deals, you were, you're, you mean like you were investing as a passive investor as an, on the LP side, correct? Yeah. Correct. And so, you know, we got to share the story, man. We, I mean, it's just one of those things. It's especially as a as an LP investor myself. A lot of LP investors uh, listen to this podcast. I think it's going to serve them as well. And plus, you know, all the stuff you took away from us. So, please, let's dive into that. Yeah, for sure. So we, like I said, invested in these two deals in 2018, and we're feeling good, feeling confident. Uh, at this point, we had built up an, a little bit of knowledge in, in the multifamily side. So um, we're getting into 2019, and uh, and and you know we're about a year into the deal, and we're at that point, you know, getting periodic updates on the deal and kind of monitoring how things are going. And then all of a sudden, the communication stops. And so, you know, that's something you, you never want to happen as an LP. Uh, you know, your your head starts racing as to what's going on with the deal. So in some ways, you know, you kind of wish that you, you just got the bad news rather than, you know, having no communication whatsoever because sure. now your imagination starts to run. So um, the, thankfully, the two deals were in a nearby market. I'm in northern New Jersey, as I mentioned, and these deals were in Philadelphia. Uh, which is only, you know, an hour and a half drive from from us. So we went down there to go check out what was going on. And sure enough, uh, one of the deals was a five unit complex. It was, you know, relatively small by most syndication standards. Mm -hmm. um, so we go there. And uh, again, this is about a year into the process. And we see that there are three units that look like exactly as they did when we kind of bought the property. And there are two units that, um, you know, they were in somewhat of renovated condition. Um, so we're like, okay, what's going on here? We know this is not the business plan. And so at that time we start questioning everything around the operator and um, you know, they give a bunch of excuses and things like that. Long story short is they basically had abandoned the, uh, the project. They had kind of, built us for the a lot of the capex budget and you know we really never got an accounting of where our money went uh and the two units that did get finished those were done those were rented but you still had three of the units um you know completely unoccupied completely unrenovated so you know for any of us multifamily investors 40 percent occupancy you know most deals don't pencil at 40% right. occupancy. Right. And so we were in real trouble. We had no more CapEx budget. At that point, myself and my partner said, okay, something's got to give here. Uh, it was not just our money in the deal, but we had a number of other uh, mutual contacts, uh, other LPs that were in the deal um, who had also entrusted these folks with their hard-earned money. And so we said, okay, again, you know, there's two decisions. You can you can either give up at that point, or you can you know get involved and and try to make the best of the situation. So that's what we did. We uh, we went down there. Uh, I was going down there two to three times a week, uh, even sleeping in the property at times uh, to try to get these three units renovated. Um, thankfully, I had enough education at that point with just having dealt with a lot of our uh, properties that I could, you know, do a lot of stuff and my partner could do a lot of stuff in terms of, you know, getting the, the vendors, overseeing the contractors, uh, overseeing the scope of work and all that. 
Um, and so sure enough, we, we ended up stabilizing that property. Um, uh, but that process was, was very painful. Uh, took about a year, uh, to stabilize that, that property. But the bright side is we learned exactly, you know, what not to do as an operator, you know, and sometimes that can be just as instructive as what to do. Uh, so it was a little bit of a, uh, you know, uh, syndication on training wheels, I guess. Yeah, that is an incredible story, really, because you don't really hear, I, I mean, almost ever anything of going from the LP basically to the GP, right? So you guys were able to take control of the property and actually go ahead and operate it to where it became stable. And then going forward after that, you guys were able, that's incredible. I've never heard a story like that. Yeah, it's pretty rare. Um, you know, there's a lot more that goes into it because, you know, it sounds sure. very succinct and very neat, the sure. way I'm saying, but, uh, you know, there were lawyers involved. It was very messy. Yeah. But, um, that being said, look, looking back on it, you know, it's not something that I wish on anybody else in terms right. of being a pretty rough experience, uh, especially as an LP. That's kind of the last thing you want. I mean, after all, we're all investing as LPs because we want this to be passive. Right. Um, so, <laughs> so, you know, very much for not sure. that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, you know, and you mentioned, you know, you took a lot of stuff away from this because I help you in your business today. And I kind of want to ask you uh, to kind of go into that. So you moved in this role as a multifamily operator. Now your own syndicator. What lessons did you take uh, from that experience that helped you that's helped you operate more effectively and really just better serve your current investors? Yeah, absolutely. In terms of, um, I kind of touched upon one of them, but it's communication. Communication sure. is absolutely key. Uh, one of the things we really pride ourselves on is transparency. And so as operators, a lot of times there are going to be things that happen that you don't plan on and there's no real game plan for contingencies or things like that in place for. And so it, at those moments, it's really it, uh, it kind of behooves you as as a sponsor to let your be really upfront and let your LPs know, hey, this is the issue that we're encountering. We're going to develop a plan around it, and then you know, uh, moving forward. So um, I think that level of transparency is is really really vital, um, especially as we go into what may be uncertain times here um, for operators to to keep all their LPs apprised of what's going on, both the good and the bad. Yeah, I think that's massive, man. And I'm glad you brought that up because I think it, it's really critical that, you know, communication is 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 there. It's consistent. And like you said, it's transparent. I was actually just on the phone with a, with a passive investor the other day and they said they were, you know, they were basically talking about another sponsor and how uh, they really didn't prefer their type of, of, of communication and how, you know, since since interest rates have risen, you know, and their cost of capital has gone up for the sponsor, right? Uh, basically, distributions were paused, but they were never really given a reason why those distributions were paused, right? Uh, at least the LP wasn't. It wasn't communicated clearly. And so this this investor was saying, hey, listen, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can invest with these guys again, just based off that communication. So I think that's, you know, if you're a sponsor and you hear that from somebody, that's got to, I mean, it's got to perk your ears up a little bit and really make you pay attention because, um, you know, your lifeblood is being able to raise capital and all that stuff, you know? And so if you can, if you're losing investors because your communication is great, it's probably something you should pay attention to. So, um, man, I'm so glad you brought that up. So that's a, that's a huge point. So, you know, what do you guys, so let's talk about, you know, your guys' company right now. So you guys are, you guys are syndicators, you focus on multifamily. Um, talk to us about your focus and what you guys are, what you guys are doing right now. Yeah, absolutely. So we've done uh, a couple of deals, syndication deals in our target market. We've also done a few joint ventures to date, and we're really looking to scale from where we've been, which is, I would call it kind of middle market multifamily, uh, really 30 to 50 units mm -hmm. up to, you know, the 100 plus kind of more institutional in nature size uh, where we can afford, you know, some of the the 
luxuries that come with that scale in terms sure. of on-site maintenance, on-site uh, leasing, all of that stuff. So um, we're right now really working on our systems uh, to be able to to achieve that, uh, both on the capital raising side and then also underwriting, deal vetting, all of that acquisition kind of pipeline side of things. Okay. Love to hear that, man. So, you know, with that in mind, you guys have got a strategy, you know what you're looking for. What's your outlook for multifamily for the rest of the year? Basically 2023 moving forward, you guys have a, obviously we don't have a crystal ball. Nobody does. Right. But what's, what's your, what's your thought process on that? And you guys are positioning yourselves in a certain way, obviously, but what's that look like for you? What are you thinking about? Yeah. Some of the things I'm thinking about is, uh, you know, last year we had a lot of supply in many markets come online. A lot of these markets were some of the very same markets that were so uh, fast growing and so hot in the last couple of years during mm-hmm. COVID. Um, and so, you know, that's definitely uh, a consideration is figuring out where you are and kind of that supply cycle. Um, that's in the short term. I think in the longer term, I, I don't really think that there's any kind of risk to uh, the supply demand imbalance in multifamily. I still think that that we're underbuilt uh, in terms of uh, sure. the demand and and a lot of the you know metrics that we look at household formation and so on. So I think long term we'll be in in good shape. I think at this point, uh, really it comes down to finding deals that that pencil uh, in a low risk way. Uh, so a lot of the things we're looking at are you know increasing the reserves that we have on a given mm. deal, um, looking at deals that pencil with lower leverage, maybe even lower returns. I think it's uh, kind of unreasonable for us and and for our LPs to expect that returns will be the same way that they've looked in the last three, four years, uh, given that, you know, capital costs have obviously gone up tremendously. Um, And so, you know, a lot of those things in terms of um, safeguards in our underwriting, and I think underwriting is one of the most important kind of risk mitigators that you Mm -hmm. have. um, Those are some of the things that we're thinking about. Yeah, I think those are those are definitely very important considerations. I love, you know, increasing your reserves and then also tempering investors' expectations, right? This is going to be a bumpy road. I mean, we're not we're not out of this yet, you know what I'm saying? And like you said the last what, three to seven years has been fantastic, you know, especially if you've been a real estate investor, if you've been on the GP side, awesome. If you've been on the LP side, awesome. You know, you've done, you've probably done very well if you've, you've partnered with the right people. Right. And so I think uh, just managing those expectations, at least, you know, for the next couple of years, I think is something very important because the truth is, is you might scoop up some great deals this year and next year, right. They might turn out to be awesome returns, but it's going to be bumpy, right? So I think uh, being able to, uh, you know, just manage those expectations is massive. So Mark, this has been a great conversation, man. I feel like we really go on. Uh, you provide a lot of great insight about this stuff. But before we get out of here, tell the listeners how they can find out more about you, your business, get in contact with you. And I think you have some free resources, some great resources as well. So please share those. Yeah, really appreciate it. So you can reach out to me. My email address is Mark, M-A-R-C at investwithmaple.com. You can also find our website, which is the same title there, www.investwithmaple.com. Um, always available to speak and you know help out however I can. I was fortunate enough to be you know standing on the shoulders of others who were you know much further ahead than I was uh, when I was starting off. Um, still obviously very much figuring things out as I as I go. So don't I haven't mastered this game yet, but <laughs> to the degree that I can help, I'm always willing to. Um, also feel free, you know, my phone number is 908-319-4351. Like I said, really want to give back and, and offer help however I can to the community. Um, as far as resources, yeah, we've got a couple that I can kind of point to. Uh, one of them is a uh, resource that helps individuals who are maybe starting off in multifamily, mm-hmm. starting to look at different markets, 
and really identify different indicators that they can use to, to target which markets they want to be locating themselves in. Okay. Um, it's a lot easier to kind of swim with the current than swim against it. Yeah. So- in that sense, you know, being uh, operating in a market that's, you know, growing and, and things like that, uh, I think can really help out, especially when you're starting out. Um, the other resource that I want to mention, and, and hopefully we can kind of link to in, in your show notes, is yeah. uh, is some free resources uh, that I found really helpful and still find really helpful to this day in terms of podcasts and books that I, I read and continue to kind of kind of reference. Okay. Yeah. Perfect, man. Those, uh, we're going to make sure to put all that stuff in the show notes. And again, if we need to follow up on this, no problem, but uh, we're going to make sure to put all that stuff in the show notes. So our listeners can reach out to you, connect with you and uh, learn more what you're doing over at Maple. So um, Matt, Mark, this has been a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Danny, thanks for the opportunity. This was so much fun. Absolutely, man. It was awesome. Thanks again. Hey, real quick before we get out of here, do me a huge favor and leave a rating and review for the podcast. We're always looking to bring you guys the best insights and strategies for building our real estate portfolios and your ratings and reviews really help with getting top guest speakers that are the best in the real estate investing business. I promise this will only take you a few seconds and I really appreciate it. Thanks for being awesome, guys. Cheers.